Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa ratanatayang namasami Instead of saying buddhang damang sangang namasami, just a triple gem. Uh, I respect, and there's many triple gems which you can respect, not just the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha. It's also the triple gem I'm going to be respecting today because these uh, uh, meditation talks is the three causes for success in meditation. So just contemplating this afternoon, uh, this afternoon, uh, and the monks here know that I went into town to sort out a very knotty problem with our insurance for Jhana Grove and other places and managed to get a really good solution. So that made me very happy. And when I came back, I had a really nice meditation. And it reminded me that uh, there are causes for good meditation. There was an old story which I uh, developed a long time ago, which was of the, you know, the uh, three beings going up Meditation Mountain. I won't repeat it because it's well known to all of you. Now, Sam Atta, Vipassana, and Metta the dog. And they all go up the same mountain. And the higher they get, the more peaceful, the better the view, the more happiness that Metta the dog gets. When they get to the top of Meditation Mountain, Sam Atta is so peaceful there, but he also sees the view, and he's also very happy. Vipassana, she can see the view, but she can also experience the peace and know the happiness. And as far as Metta the dog was concerned, Metta, she was just happy but she also had eyes and new peace as well because those three things coexist at the top of Meditation Mountain. But it's not just the goal to have stillness. It's not just the goal to see, have wisdom and insight. It's not just the goal to have the happiness. These are also the causes. And so for me, this was like a, another way of looking at another triple gem. Not to demean the real triple gem of the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha, or the triple gems of Sila Samadhi Panya, but maybe that Sila Samadhi Panya is another way of looking at this triple gem. Because, you know, when you practice Sila, you do have your happiness. Samadhi is the stillness, the Panya is the wisdom. These three things are actually not just a result of practice, but also the causes of developing the practice. So for me this afternoon, it was just the relief, the happiness of having a big burden which I've been having to be concerned with for a couple of months now, I think. Now, maybe only one month. It just seems like a couple of months to be able to, to find a solution so it can be, as they say, put to bed, let go of, and it can move on, move forward. And that happiness there, just I could see that that was the really proximate cause, the reason I had a nice meditation this afternoon. And it reminded me that if you don't develop your happiness in this uh, in this. Um, retreat. I mean, develop the happiness. Don't just try and develop samadhi. Don't just try and develop mindfulness. Don't just try and you know, develop your uh, understanding of the Dhamma. But also remember to develop happiness. It's something which does need to be developed. And I don't mean the happiness of indulging in uh, you know, the tea and coffees, the sugar, the honey, or whatever else is on offer in this monastery, which is uh, the... Uh, Bhikkhunis don't notice this, but this year has been probably uh, noted, this particular retreat as probably the fish and chip retreat, 
Rupotinyana because we had so many fish and chips here that even I, of all people, are getting sick of fish and chips, <laughs> which is really saying something. <laughs> but even though there's so much food and delightful stuff to eat, that's not the happiness which I'm talking about. Even just having finished that chant of the fire sermon and at the end of most of these chants, they said that those particular group of 1,000 fire worship, they delighted in the, the teachings there. They got off on, off on them. They abinandung. Nanda is happiness and abinanda is like refined happiness. They really just enjoyed it that teaching. And now that would have been one of the causes for them to have got enlightened. You know, because that degree of mental happiness, that inspiration, that delight, that joy, the pure joys which you were supposed to indulge in here, not the joys of the five senses, but the joys of the sixth sense, the mind, that is something which has to be cultivated. And you know, for me it was just a problem that's been disappeared. Oh, the joy of being free from burdens. And that is one of the joys which is very easy to cultivate in a retreat like this. All of you who have just come just for this retreat, just remember what you are free of. All of, you know, some of you are free of husbands, some of you are free of housework, some of you are free of girlfriends, some of you are free of you know, having to go to work and make money. Some of you are free of going in the traffic jams in the morning to work and all the other problems which are there out there in the world. Here you've got hardly anything to do, unless you're me or somebody else in authority here. You've got so little to do here and it's so free you don't have to go anywhere. Oh, what bliss when you remember the burdens which you have left behind. Unfortunately, many people, they take these things for granted. And because they take things for granted, oh, here we go, just another day in Bodhinyana Monastery. You know, the same old breakfast, the same old lunch, the same old washing up, the same old people, the same old jokes, the same old talks. And sometimes that we can miss out on developing the joy which is there by realizing how far you've come. You've made it here for a retreat and there is a long waiting list. For those at Dharmasara, you've actually made it into being a bhikkhuni. It's incredible what you've done. It's just so hard to get that far. And, you know, if you're not a bhikkhuni, it's sort of a, a samaneri, an anagarika, just a visitor. You're, you're there. Well done. Just rejoice in it. Think of where you could have been if you hadn't made it to here. You know, just working, living in a flat in Sydney, sort of messing around with, you know, worldly stuff. You've managed to do so much to get this far, so you rejoice in that. That develops the happiness and the joy. And so it's very important to be able to do that. And there is a lot of joy available in this place. If you don't deliberately develop the joy, your mindfulness becomes flat. It loses its energy. And then you get kind of depressed and bored and sloth and torpor kicks in. And nothing really tastes nice. Nothing really is nice. And in order to find any type of happiness to give you a boost, that's when you start going into the old, you know, eating too much or just delicious uh, 
coffee in the afternoon or whatever you know you try and do just to give yourself a bit of a, a happiness boost and of course that is just getting involved in the sensory world again the set world of the five sense pressures which is dangerous we're trying to get out of that place that prison so instead we're deliberately developing the happy states if it's not just the happiness of remembering what you've put behind you like me i put behind all this arguments and just discussions on it's just so complex legalities of insurance put that beside oh what bliss it seems like i can really forget about this now it's all finished and it's nice and it's easy so having put that beside if you are oh, just what bliss now i can just meditate and enjoy myself and that's i remember that i remember what i've put behind me the same for those of you who have you know, achieved so much just keeping precepts, just staying in a monastery and being able to keep precepts, being you know, good people. The Buddha kept on saying that that's called the Anawaja Sukha, the blameless happiness. And that again is something which is good to reflect upon. Unfortunately, what many Western people are taught to do, not to reflect upon your sila, your, your uh, uh, good conduct, but to reflect upon your asila, or your dusila, I think would be the better party word. And the Buddha never talked dusila anusati. He never said to remember your bad conduct and all the mistakes and stupid things you've done. That is not one of the meditations or reflections taught by the Buddha. He saw sila anusati, you know, rec uh, contemplating reflection on your good conduct, not your dusila. So, of course, every one of you has made mistakes and done stupid things and just broken a precept here and a precept there. But please let that go. Put that aside. Don't carry it around. Because if you do, you are someone who does do sila anusati. And that is not a cause for happiness. That is not a cause for arousing the path factors. That is not a cause for stillness, for happiness, uh, for wisdom, for nothing. It just causes you just to get more and more drained of energy, negativity. You know what it feels like when you get negative, you reflect on the bad things you've done and other people have done. It drains you of energy. You get back into sloth and torpor, wanting to sleep a lot. You're not developing the happiness. Now already I think you may see that to develop that happiness you have to have quite a lot of wisdom and understanding. You know, what I say, these three things, this wisdom, this happiness, this stillness, they all really work together. And understanding just how the tricks, the power to develop that happiness of the, the uh, sixth sense is an enormous skill which is, I would say, essential to develop deep meditation or any type of meditation. It is one of the reasons why some people traditionally, this is traditional Buddhism, they do some chanting before they meditate. And the reason they do the chanting is because it inspires them. Now if they are a person who understands some of the Pali, if they don't understand the Pali, at least they understand what it means, it really gets you inspired. If that doesn't work for you, you can actually read some suttas. Now that some people read suttas and it just doesn't grab you at all, doesn't inspire you one bit. Fine, I mean, it's just that's not where you're at right now. But for others of you, you read a sutta and wow, that's so beautiful, it's so 
amazing just how you know this person called the Buddha could have explained it just so eloquently and so powerfully. Now there are times when I read those suttas, and that's what happens to me. Just wow, you know. And I've read them before, you know, just chanting the fire sermon. Just wow, just the whole lot is on fire. And the fire—we all know what fire is like in in here in Western Australia. It's so dangerous in the bush. Any fire you want to extinguish it straight away. Extinguish those fires. Extinguish the eye. Extinguish the the form seen by the eye. Extinguish you know, the contact, extinguish the, the consciousness, the eye consciousness. It's a fire. We've got to put it out. Extinguish the feelings, the Vedana, based on that eye and that sort of uh, sight consciousness. All of it is on fire. That's why when we feel it's burning, it's painful, it's destructive. That's why we have Nibbida towards it. Because we have Nibbida, this wonderful word of revulsion, the uh, samsara's ejection seat, you know, we press that and just you leave uh, sight consciousness behind. It's brilliant sutta, and so it's so inspiring when I hear that. You know, you really sort of get high on it. You know, not sort of high on some illegal drugs, not high on having too much tea and coffee, but you know, high on just a dhamma. Wow, and that happiness. Develop that. If that's what makes you happy, just get your favorite suttas, put them on your iPod or something, your favorite Dhamma talks, a chanting which really gets to you. Put that on there and listen to it and then you meditate afterwards and it's just so easy. The mind actually gets in the present moment. It does become still. It's easy to watch the breath. The happiness, the joy, if you use your wisdom to create that joy and the right type of happiness and joy, the meditation really, really takes off. Why it is it? Because if you're happy in this present moment, you want to be there. Now when you're really dull, you've just got all these problems, you just want to escape somewhere, you just want to go off into dullness or into fantasies or go to sleep or read a comic or just <coughs> find a newspaper somewhere and anything just to get away from this pain of the body and the pain of the mind and the pain of everything. When you develop happiness, you just want to be here. Remember the happiness, as I said, is the glue which sticks you onto the object. You can't force your mind onto the object. You can't push it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, as the old saying goes. But if that horse is Ajahn Brahm and that water is tea with condensed milk, you don't need to force me. I will just drink that. Because why? Because I find happiness in that. <laughs> if the horse found happiness in the water, it would drink it. The same with the present moment. If I find happiness in this present moment, I'm in it. I'm into it. Full on. I'm in the moment because I'm enjoying it. So once you develop that happiness, the present moment looks beautiful. So the horse, the water looks delicious. It wants to have some more. And it means that you're meditating, you're getting into it. And you don't have to do anything. This is this amazing teaching. Once it's happy, you can't stop not you can't stop yourself from meditating. You're just having a great time. You just want to stay in the present moment. You don't want to have to go down and just go to have a cup of tea at six o'clock 
that was my problem this evening, and just having to answer the phone. You just wanted to stay in your room and just carry on meditating because you're enjoying it, you're having fun. So by developing that joy, you can actually stay in this moment. You can start to develop the beautiful stillness. Wisdom, in this particular case, starting from wisdom, leading to joy, leading to stillness, the triple gem. And of course, the more still you become, even just reflecting on just the very word stillness, it's another thing which I often do to be able to develop the, the deep meditations or just any old meditation. Just remember the word stillness because uh, these words, you know, that old simile, I, I gave this at the school the other day about the professor who goes to the restaurant and eats the menu instead of ordering the food because he doesn't know the difference between the menu and the food. You all know the menus, you all know the food. So when you see the menu, you know, that something's on pizza or something, you order it and you eat that pizza. The same when stillness, that's the word on the menu. You know what that means, at least you have some idea of what stillness means. Order it and start eating. Eat stillness. <coughs> and when you start eating stillness, you understand what I mean, you start feeling it, you experience it, you have it in front of you. It's right inside of you, you can feel, you know, this is stillness. And just by that degree of wisdom, it's just so joyful to be still. There's all this noise, all this coming and going, all these vibrations of noise, of movement, of, of uh, sights, all this up and down of the lake, the waves going up and down, that is really seen as an irritation. When it's so smooth, even if there's not a reflection on the surface of the lake, the old simile, that only when the lake is perfectly still do you get a true reflection of what's above the lake. But just being still is something which is very, very attractive. I remember years and years and years ago, when I used to go to Bunbury to teach the prisoners, and the Catholic clergy down there used to look after me. I remember one picked me up from the railway station and was taking me to the place where I was going to stay that night in the parish house. Uh, but he took me by the beach first of all, and he said, look at the beautiful ocean. He said, why is it beautiful? And you know, the priest said, because it's eternal. But for me, it was because there was nothing happening on it. Yeah, there was a few waves going up and down, but there was no real business on that ocean. It just stretched for as far as you can see, and there was no business, no activity which irritating you. You turn around and see the city and the cars and all the people rushing around and all the sounds. There was so much happening. That was the irritation. The simplicity the degree of stillness of just watching the ocean with nothing on it, nothing happening. That was why I enjoyed it. And I think that's why a lot of people like to see landscapes where there's nothing happening. There's vast stretches of desert or wilderness areas or just looking up into the sky and just the stars aren't moving. It's just nothing much happening up there. And because there's nothing much happening, that degree of stillness gives you a sense of freedom and the joy of not having to do work, figure it out, deal with all this stimulation of your senses coming at you with so fast and so strong. So to be able to actually to see simplicity, 
stillness is a beautiful sense of happiness and freedom. So even just seeing the present moment, there's nothing much happening there. All the activity, all the noise is in the future or the past. This present moment is just here. Nothing much going on. Nothing much I can do. It's already arrived. I can't change it. I can't try and get anything else. It's already here. I'm stuck with it. When you have this wonderful feeling of freedom, it's just nothing much going on. I don't have to deal with things. I don't have to solve problems or make decisions. It's just here. That degree of stillness, the emptiness of, from irritations, the emptiness of having to do business, the emptiness of having to arouse this doer, this controller, this will to deal with problems. That's not there. Just like the beautiful lake. I don't have to do anything. Freedom from the doer. That stillness, once you can taste it, once you can experience it, once you can remember it, once you know it as this feeling, not the word, you can follow that and just feel that freedom of the stillness. And once that stillness arouses the energy of sort of joy and happiness, it stays with you. So wonderful to be still. It's so satisfying. It's like you've had your cup of tea. You don't want any more because it's just so beautiful, the result afterwards. You're satisfied. You're full. There's nothing necessary. There's nothing missing. Stillness is complete. Movement has always got something to do. So having that experience, that feeling, embracing the meaning of stillness, stillness being the signpost and seeing where it's pointing to, that gives you a great sense of joy. Still at last. It's just like that going on the journey. Yeah, you know, you're driving around and then you go and finish all your business and you come back to your, your monastery, you, you park your car or you get out and you just go to the toilet and then you sit down, you're in your cave, you're free. <sighs> nothing to do. Brilliant. Stillness. Especially if you have to do so much as I have to do. Just moments of peace and stillness, great freedoms. It's like being paroled from my job as an abbot. I get some freedom every now and again from this prison of having to do things and talk and answer phone calls from people overseas who want to ask me, are you enlightened, Ajahn Brahm? Same old question, same old response. I don't know, you get really bored with that sort of stuff. And people asking you about, oh, when are you going to come over to here? But sometimes it's all free. And the telephone becomes still. And your world becomes still. Nothing is moving, nothing is happening. <sighs> that really rocks. Rocks is an Australian expression for that's really nice. That's really happy. What we mean there is you are developing joy from the stillness. And of course, once you appreciate it, that stillness really starts to develop. Just a meaning of stillness. See how still stillness can be. See if you can beat your record of stillness. Stillness upon stillness upon stillness. Because stillness actually does move. <laughs> really sort of weird thing to say, that stillness moves. 
stillness actually becomes more still. And sometimes what you thought was stillness was just superficial stillness. It goes to the next level of stillness, which is far more still than stillness. And the next level, even more still than the stillness of stillness. And it keeps on going that way. That's why these progressions in meditation just take you to experiences which you just cannot imagine. Which you know, sometimes appear just illogical, but there it is. It's an experience right in front of you. And you're right inside of it. You're just really incredibly still. And just a sense of freedom not having to move and do business. You really are on vacation from work. You don't have any more jobs to do. Your duties have been completed. Your, your roster at the kitchen or your roster on the work has all been finished. You're free at last. Just like you know, when you finish school, at last I'm free of this school. You walk out there and you no longer have to be a schoolboy or a schoolgirl anymore. It's gone, it's finished, woohoo, I'm free. Just being free of all this movement and activity. You really enjoy that stillness. So you can even cultivate stillness straight from the start. One of the meditation techniques which, again, I use, all these little methods I've developed over the years which I share with you. And please, you develop your own methods. Don't just do what I do, just take it further. As that saying goes, you should never stand in, the sh stand in the shadow of your teacher. Stand on their shoulders. Take it further. Don't stand in the shadow of any guru or teacher or master. Stand on their shoulders. Go further, deeper. Make your own similes. And by that particular simile was just, uh, or not simile, but little uh, practice, was I recall some of the most peaceful meditations I've ever had. I just remember them where I was, what I was doing. And I just indulge in that memory of the most peaceful, some of the beautiful, peaceful meditations I've had. And then when I start to recall them, it's, they're so attractive, they bring back such happy memories, it's very easy to stay there. And I just flesh out the details. Where was I? What time? Who was around? Or what was around? What time of day? What was I doing? What was I doing before? What happened afterwards? And I start to, as I flesh out the details, all that really does, the whole purpose of that is to maintain my attention on that particular feeling of peace and stillness and joy which I had some time ago. Now you may not have had jhanas yet, but you've all had wonderful experiences or some peaceful experiences sometime in your life as a meditator as a person, in the most peaceful time of your life you've had so far. You bring it to your mind in the very beginning of your meditation. Where was that? What, what was I doing? And you have some of that peace, 50%, if you continue, 80%, 90% of that peace back again. Just the memory of it inspires you. And it prepares the mind to have this beautiful, peaceful stillness at the very, very beginning. It's just like you're way ahead at the very beginning of your meditation. You recall this and you're almost there again. That is the usual method. If people have experienced a lot of jhanas, they get back again very quickly whenever they want to. They don't just start present moment away in the silence, okay, now I've got to watch the breath. No, just remember that last nimity you had. Wow. And it's there again. Right in front of you. Ooh. And the joy, the bliss starts to really get into you. 
you're, you're away. You're off. You just, you just jumped sort of, you know, ahead of the game in a huge amount of leap forwards. So you don't have to go the, the beginning part. You're right at the very end. You jump the queue and you're allowed to do that. It works. What you're doing there is you're cultivating stillness using wisdom. And it brings you so much joy, so much peace. You're almost there. So you use these things. So that's you know how you can feel stillness. You get to know stillness. Stillness becomes an object which you're very used to. You know that sometimes that you know we have words, we have concepts, and in our societies we get to know what those concepts mean. We repeat that experience again and again and again. We know what it means. You know, we know what it means. You know, the Olympic gold medal. You say that word, but you know, if you've been in the West, you know the sort of the achievement, the joy, the crowd. It builds up a picture for you, and that's out there in the world. You know, you know that traffic jam. You know, vacation in Bali. Whatever else is part of your culture. You know, which you you know about. You've experienced those. Uh, those experiences, you've got the language to describe it. As meditators, we get to know stillness. Now that's our that's our profession. You know, we're stillness people, not active people, not doers, stillness people. And that word becomes not just a label, it becomes something we experience, something which is so close to our daily life something which we know so well because we've experimented with it, we've investigated with it, we've played around with it, we've just ate it, we've drank it, we've slept in it, we've just bathed in it, we're just right inside of it. We spend so much time getting to know this stillness, we become connoisseurs of stillness, which means that we can go back whenever we want. We know it so well. And that's a part of our job to have such wisdom based on repeated experiences and understanding of stillness. We know it like our best friend. When you have a best friend, you know their telephone number, you know their email, you know how to contact them. And when you ring them up, they know, hey, he's calling. They recognize the number on your telephone, so they answer it straight away. Other people that don't recognize your number, they hang up or they say, leave a message. That's what happens to me when I ring up some people, the number appears on the phone, hi Ajahn Brahm, they answer straight away. Or like, <laughs> I remember ringing up one of our ex-presidents of the Buddhist Society of West Australia and I got her daughter. And I say, you know, is your mummy there? And the daughter was only six or seven years of age and so she shouted out, mummy, are you here? <laughs> you could hear her the telephone. <laughs> she really blew it. So who's talking? Ajahn Brahm. Oh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, mummy's here. She told me I'm here. <laughs> Kids are great. <laughs> but they answer because you're a friend. They respect you. And that's just like ringing up stillness. You just think of stillness. And stillness doesn't hang up the phone for you. Stillness answers straight away. Hey, how are you doing, Ajahn Brahm? Yeah, great. How are you? Yeah. And we chat for hours. Like some people do. I don't know how they do that with people on telephones. You know, five or ten minutes I've had enough. But <laughs> on telephones anyway. But with stillness, that really is the best friend. 
So once you call them up, you even think the word stillness, and it brings, evokes the meaning of the word. And then the meaning of the word is there, and it hangs out with you. You've got stillness straight away. Wow. And from there, you just develop credible meditations. You don't have to mess around with the beginnings. Now, the joys of the meditation is stillness. So all of these, yeah, I've talked about stillness and joy, but you know, it's all using wisdom teachings as well. You don't use this effort so much. You don't keep screwing up your mind. I've got to watch my breath. I've got to be in the present moment. Come on, get into it. Don't mess around. How many times have I got to tell you this? Be in the present moment. Yeah, the past is gone. Don't really worry about it. All that haranguing which people do in their heads is counterproductive. Don't think so much and beat yourselves up. What that does, that just takes away your energy, takes away your feeling of self-esteem, takes away your your motivation. I can't do this. I'm a terrible meditator. Oh God, what am I going to do? Another two and a half months in this joint. How can I get by until we can start work and traveling around again? And don't get into that. That's because you try too hard. Use wisdom. Use, use these tricks of the trade, like remembering the most peaceful experience, the happiest experience in meditation you've had. Get your favorite talks, inspire yourself. Get this Abhi Nandal. You know, they, they rejoiced in the teachings. They rejoiced in the fact they were living the holy life. Rejoice in the fact that, you know, you bhikkhunis are starting something which is absolutely historic. They'll have statues of you at Dhammasara in the end. Have you already left your details? Uh, Venerable for your statue, you know, your height and width and breadth and <laughs> they probably will, you know, because first bikunis over there. Wow. Don't be embarrassed about it. Just think, wow, that's amazing. You've made a difference in life. Bring up joy and happiness. And that just makes the meditation so easy. You don't really feel tired anymore. Sloth and torpor comes from dullness, comes from negativity, comes from depression, because you don't cultivate happiness. And the kahak happiness and the stillness are something you can very easily cultivate. So you don't force a mind. You use your effort to cultivate stillness, which is actually just a bit of an oxymoron. But, you know, it works. You cultivate happiness. And please know it's the sixth sense happiness, not the other happinesses. Until the mind feels just so joyful and so still. All based on wisdom. That's vipassana. That's vipassana pushing the other two up the mountain. Pushing metta the dog. We you know it is like happiness and stillness. Samatha. Pushing them up the mountain. So they get higher and higher. And of course, they drag Vipassana up the mountain too. So I don't know who's pushing and who's pulling. They seem to all work together. And we get these beautiful deep meditations. And you keep going that way. It's, I just dis described in the beginning of this, this whole process. You used to call it like the snowball rolling downhill. You know, the way it starts to roll downhill, it not only picks up speed, but it gets bigger and p more powerful. And just that's what happens in the meditation. So you need you don't need to start watching the breath. It comes to you. The breath becomes beautiful. It becomes still. 
and you're not cultivating the delightful breath. You're not cultivating limiters. You're cultivating stillness. You're cultivating joy. You're cultivating wisdom. Please remember what you're supposed to cultivate. You cultivate the wrong things, you don't get anywhere. You cultivate the causes, not the results. There's such an important realization for me. Maybe it's hard to describe your own realizations. For me, it makes so much sense. I understand exactly what I'm talking about. For others, you know, it's just words. I cultivate causes, but now and again, the penny drops, the light bulb comes up. Ah, now I know what he means. Because you do it and it works. So many, no, not so many years, about two or three years, after my first really big meditation, trying to get it back again. Trying to re-experience those bliss states. Couldn't do it. Until I finally had the insight, stop trying to develop the result of bliss. Where did it come from? What were you doing? How did it arise? Recreate the causes. Cultivate the causes. Cultivate sila. Cultivate stillness. Cultivate your insight. Cultivate joy and stillness and wisdom. Then these things happen. So that's what I do. I understand that just so well. I just cultivate causes. Put them into place. Whatever happens, happens. My job is just to form the base, the foundations. Once the, f the base, the foundations are there, the building just goes up by itself. It's not like building the sala at Dharmasara. You've got to build a whole blooming lot. But with this meditation, the foundations, stillness, peace, happiness, wisdom, it just arises. And that's just the amazing thing to be able to witness. That's why I come up with similes like sitting on Buddha air and just all these things get served to you. You just sit there and all these things come. You don't go looking for them. That's the meaning of Ajahn Chah's, you know, you don't climb the mango tree, you don't throw sticks at it, you don't shake it. You just sit underneath it and just open up your hand and the mango falls into it. That was just a brilliant simile of Ajahn Chah. I keep on repeating it. It's so wonderful because that is accurate. That's how it works. When someone says a simile like that, you can't understand it. When it starts happening, you really appreciate the wisdom of these great teachers. You realize the person knew what they were talking about because it's not a sort of simile you can, you can actually think up just through logic or through reason. It's a simile which somebody's experiencing and it's counterintuitive, but my goodness, that is so accurate. Your job is to sit under the tree. That's where your effort finishes. Your job is to open your hand, developing this stillness, this joy, this wisdom. And then the man goes forth. And it's great to be able to witness this. What I wish every one of you will witness, and then you understand the brilliance, the beauty, the incredible Buddha. I say that was just incredible, with immense mega devotion, giga devotion, that somebody could actually see that and then tell you to do what is 
not many people tell you to do this. They keep telling you to work hard, to do something. Become enlightened, just try. Go and shake that tree. Climb it, do something. Don't be lazy. Get your act together. Don't be a fool. And you do that and nothing ever happens. But then a Buddha comes along and just let us sit, be still. Develop stillness, develop peace. Feel it, know what those things are. Develop the joy of the mind. Be inspired. Develop that happiness. Remember the most peaceful experience you've ever had. You're off. You're on the path. Let it happen. Mangoes fall one after the other. In this monastery we haven't got a mango tree. It seems we've got a fish and chip tree. <laughs> it keeps on falling again and again and again. <laughs> Crazy monastery, but we have fun. So that's the talk for this evening, developing the causes of stillness. Of, sorry, wisdom, stillness, and joy, the triple gem. Very good. Thank you.